0: you're listening to well now slates podcast on health and wellness i'm maya Fowler, and i'm kavita patel this sunday the san francisco
1: 49ers and the kansas city chiefs face off in the super bowl And while some are wondering if Taylor Swift will be supporting her partner, Travis Kelsey, at the game, at Well Now, we're thinking about what happens to players after the game ends.
0: For years, the NFL has been grappling with the consequences of repetitive concussions. They can lead to short and long-term troubles. Fans
1: are aware of some of the problems. It's not uncommon for games to stop because a player needs medical attention on the field. Here are just a few of those plays from the past couple of seasons. First down inside the five.
2: Broncos players reacting. And Wilson went down hard. As again, Pacheco. This time he gets kicked in the head. No. 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 The helmet comes off for the second time in this quarter. Oh, man. And uh uh
0: meanwhile, of all things. Oh, boy. Well, we've seen stumbling and. You know what I'm talking about. Hines needs some help to just remain upright. To a
2: rolling left. With the grain and down he goes! Josh Tupu. And... uh Uh-oh.
0: The last clip was a second concussion suffered by Miami Dolphins quarterback, Tua Tongovailoa in 2022. And it's hard to watch. You see Tonga Vailoa lying on the ground, unmoving with his fingers spread out over his face. Experts call this the fencing position, and it's a key symptom of a concussion. He would go on to get a third one by the end of the year.
1: Tonga Vailoa's injuries reignited a national conversation about the dangers players face during the game. Many criticized leaders on the team and the NFL at large for letting Tunga back on the field after getting his first concussion, saying he shouldn't have been on the field in the first place. The Dolphins cleared him after that first game injury, saying at the time he hurt his back. But after concussion number two less than a week later, folks like ESPN's Stephen A. Smith disagreed.
2: Somebody need to be fired. Now, I don't know who, but somebody got to go. At the very least, a suspension.
0: It even pushed the NFL to change its concussion protocol to hopefully make it more likely for a concussion to be diagnosed on the field. Here's NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell talking about it on ESPN last September. We reevaluated some of our procedures with the Players Association. We changed and modified some of those with our chief medical officer and their chief medical officer. And our doctors are looking at that, and we made a policy change. They're evaluating more players now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they're also, and I think this is a good thing long-term, I think more conservative in their approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you're going to get more evaluations. As such, you'll likely get more concussions. So I I think you have to look behind the numbers, Mm -hmm. ultimately. Mm -hmm. Um, What we're trying to do is take head contact out entirely.
1: But are these changes really enough to keep players safe? According to the NFL's most recent concussion numbers for 2023, they actually rose slightly from the year before, from 213 recorded concussions to 219. And what does this all mean for most football players who never make it to the pros, but still put their bodies at risk on and off the
0: field? Coming up, we talk with someone who's an expert on concussions. He's worked with high school and college athletes, including football players, to help prevent them from suffering traumatic brain injuries down the road. Stay with us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to Well Now from Slate. I'm Maya Feller. And I'm Kavita Patel.
1: We started off this episode by talking about the long term health risks for professional football players who can suffer repeated concussions and head trauma on the job. But the National Football League isn't the only place where these problems begin. To get to the pros, many of these athletes start playing and getting hurt young, really young. Last year, the CTE Center at Boston University published a study where they looked at the brains of 152 contact sport athletes. Unfortunately, all of them had died before the age of 30. Of those brains tested, a vast majority of those diagnosed with chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, were those of football players.
0: Our next guest has worked with student athletes for decades. He spent his career treating traumatic brain injuries like concussions, helping to mitigate the risks of long-term trauma for young athletes. John Doherty is currently the Vice President of Therapy Services, Sports Medicine and Occupational Health for the Community healthcare System in Indiana. John, thanks for joining us on Well Now.
2: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: So John, tell us a little bit more what's involved in your work as a sports therapist. What do you actually do for the athletes?
2: Well, I've been an athletic trainer since 1984 and a physical therapist as well, and when I was in the athletic training realm, so much of it, I thought, was preventing injuries rather than treating them, but also once you're on the field recognizing them because so many players, once they get a relatively minor injury or what they, what they see as a, a minor injury, then they, they try to hide it because they want to keep playing. And then uh, whether I was in the physical therapy realm or athletic training, getting those athletes who are injured back to play safely.
1: John, I've worked with therapists over the years, and I always kind of love being a little bit of a fly on the wall watching what what you do. Maybe tell us specifically, what do you do with the young football player, for example, maybe before they're even a pro athlete uh, or early in their career to kind of help prevent them from suffering from CTE or understanding the impact of concussions?
2: Well, what we we try to do, uh, number one, is to get the head out of the game as much as possible. Some football players like to use their heads as weapons because part of the issue is they wear those helmets and then once you're in that helmet you feel indestructible even though you're not and there's a cohort of athletes that will use their head as weapons and there's another cohort that won't and we know from some research done at purdue university that the athletes that don't use their heads as weapons have far fewer problems in season with memory issues that they really wouldn't be aware of until they're tested but The kids who don't use their heads as weapons don't run into memory issues like the kids who do use their heads as weapons, even if they don't get a concussion. So we want them to play the game by the rules. There's a culture to football, and you want a culture where following the rules is encouraged rather than celebrating the big hit where perhaps the hit wasn't entirely by the rules.
1: And John, can you tell us? I I imagine you've been, whether it's on the field or in the locker room or even in the exam setting, can you just tell us kind of what happens in the aftermath typically i know that with concussion and head injury every single situation is unique but do you mind just kind of telling us very simply what happens when someone experiences a concussion and kind of what does that person look like when they present to you and what are some of those consequences we've talked about cte in technical terms what does this really mean
2: Well, with a concussion, it's interesting you use the word look because that's what my wife refers to it as, the look, when somebody has a concussion. They have that glazed-over blank stare in their eyes, and then shortly thereafter, a lot of them are starting to wince or close their eyes because the light is starting to bother them or because they have a headache. 90% of athletes, anybody that gets a concussion has a headache, there's 10% that don't. The other thing to look for is uh, loss of balance or dizziness. So many of the athletes that I've discovered had concussion, it was because suddenly they they couldn't walk straight. So those are the things we look for. We hope that the the athlete will tell us about their symptoms, but so often, the vast majority of the time still, I would say athletes try to uh, hide or minimize these symptoms.
0: John, you noted that about 90% of the athletes that you work with do actually have concussions sooner or later. So when you're kind of, you know, working with a team like you did at Notre Dame as the athletic trainer, how many of those players would you actually say, or how often do these young football players in general suffer from concussions?
2: My guess is that if you're a football player, you probably get at least one concussion a season and if you use your head as a weapon, you probably get more. So many of the things we see on TV and the plays that are penalized is when a player gets hit in the head, and certainly we don't want players being targeted or or hit in the head, but the true danger from playing football is you hitting with your head because it's those sub-concussive hits that add up to what ends up being CTE later in life if you play long enough.
0: Can you explain a subconcussive hit?
2: Well, it's a hit to the head where there's G-forces going through the skull, through the brain, that don't cause obvious concussion symptoms either to an observer or even to the athlete. They don't feel any different at that moment after they, hit, they make a hit and those forces go through the head. You get up to forces above 60 80 Gs. quite often that causes concussion. But it's interesting that we see studies where athletes are subjected to an ADG hit to the head and they still don't get a concussion. And then other times where somebody gets a 30 G hit and they do get a concussion. But if you look back, they were probably primed for that concussion by a previous stronger hip that didn't initially cause symptoms. Over the course of a season, there's hundreds and hundreds of those sub concussive hits that occur on a football field or on a hockey arena or on a wrestling mat or on a soccer field with athletes heading the ball. Well,
1: that's what I wanted to ask you about. We're having a very important conversation about CTE, and we talked about some studies with athletes primarily from football, but this is not limited to football, and it is very applicable globally to so many sports. Can you tell us what the science tells us, I have to tell you, I went to medical school, I'm going to date myself, kind of in the early, you know, late 90s, to early 2000s. You're just a kid. <laughs> I actually went back old school, looked at my textbooks, you can't find CTE in the index. So now fast forward, where are we done with the science? And, and I would like to put in a provocative statement, we are not doing enough on the science, we've had to depend on the families who are desperate for answers to give literally their loved ones' brains to try to develop the science. But John, tell us where we're at and what what we know about the data.
2: Believe it or not, there's no data yet, although I would say just about any brain specialist would tell you concussions are not a good thing and probably contribute to CTE. But the data tells us it isn't number of concussions, it's years of playing the sport. So the other thing we know is if you stop playing football at the end of your high school career, your chances of getting a neurodegenerative disease later in life are no different than if you were in the band. But once you go on to college, it seems the clock starts ticking and that year by year the risks go up for developing CTE. What exactly is that risk? We don't know because all of these studies, as well as they've done at Boston University and they've done the bulk of them, these are all convenient samples. What I mean by a convenient sample is Everybody that they've examined, they suspect has CTE because the family had realized that the athlete had issues before they died with some kind of mental health issue that seemed to be tied to their years of playing a collision sport or being in the military.
0: John, I mean, that is astounding information for me to hear, right? Especially as a parent, knowing that there's so many parents that are thinking about what are the sports that they want their kids to get into. And hearing you say, you know, it's the years of playing that really increases the risk, it makes me think, what are these impacts of the brain injuries, like when kids are starting much younger, and how does that, you know, bode for them when they're really thinking about the NFL?
2: I will tell you that speaking to high school and college and even professional athletes, they know now it's in their vocabulary. CT is in the vocabulary. The Kelsey brother who played for the Eagles, if you watch that documentary of following him around for a year, he spoke about CTE and the risk he was facing the longer he played.
1: Like, not to address like an elephant in the NFL room, but like, you know, I am, I am fearful that, you know, who knows what the impacts of playing football are gonna mean long-term. Yeah, I have two girls and you know, some people end up getting CTE. Some guys live long, healthy lives. I have no idea what's gonna happen with that. Cause I've thought about this, like it's like destroying my body, you know, maybe with the amount of head shots I take on a game
2: basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, who knows if or when that's gonna come back to bite me, right? Yeah. And at least in that day and time, he thought the risk was worth it based on the return that he got for he and his family financially. Do I necessarily agree with that? It's easy to sit here and say that, that maybe a decision like that is kind of foolish. But I will tell you a story of a colleague of mine who had a high school athlete who had had three concussions in a season. And he was a, a Division One recruit and sat down with the, my colleague and his mother. And based on his symptoms and how he was having a harder and harder time recovering, her advice to him was that he end his football career. And he seemed to accept that and then the mother asked my colleague to step out in the hallway. The athlete was from the inner city, and the mother stepped out in the hallway with my colleague and said, look, if my son doesn't go to play for this Big Ten team on scholarship, I'm going to tell you within six months he'll be in jail or he'll be dead. And my colleague went back in and released him to go back and play football, and he did go, and go on to play in college. So there's a lot of ingredients to determining whether or not you should be playing football or should continue playing football and the dangers that people are facing.
0: We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we'll talk more about football head trauma and what's being done to catch the problems early. This is Well Now from Sleep. Stick around.
1: And we're back. You're listening to Well Now, Slate's podcast on wellness. I'm Kavita Patel.
0: And I'm Maya Feller. We're talking about football and health with veteran sports therapist, John Doherty. And John, the NFL made some pretty big changes to its concussion protocol over the past few years. So, you know, some people don't follow this as closely. Can you tell us what some of those changes really are?
2: Well, the NFL has a large cohort of medical professionals on the sidelines both employed by the teams, and then independent neurologic consultants who one is on each sideline. And then they have what they call the eyes in the sky, usually athletic trainers who are up in the press box watching for signs and symptoms of concussion. And if they see something either in real time from the press box, or then they review plays on video, they have that ability in the the press box to do that. They're they're suspicious of a hit, they play it back on video, then they're even more suspicious. They buzz down to the sideline and have that athlete removed and then the athlete is required to go through a sideline exam. And then at that point, the independent neurologic consultant makes a decision. But the ultimate decision still lays with the team doctor.
0: So it sounds like there are quite a few stop measures in place. And, you know, in your view, would you say that these changes are enough to keep the players safe from concussions and CTE in the future?
2: well they should be enough but it, unfortunately it seems like particularly in big games quarterbacks don't get concussions you see quarterbacks show the signs of concussion again and again but in big games they seem to be put right back in and the sideline exam in the blue tent seems to be pretty quick in my opinion it takes time to do a thorough sideline concussion examination and if you have any really suspicion at all you should probably take the athlete into the locker room or the training room underneath the stands where it's quieter, and then you can make a better determination. And then part of that determination is reviewing the video. It happens over and over again. Tua Tungvailoa, he was clearly stunned. He couldn't stand up on his feet. His offensive linemen are holding him up. And the Dolphins tell the media that he's out in concussion protocol before halftime. And then all of a sudden, after halftime, oh, he hurt his back. Unfortunately, that seems to be a, I hate to use the word, but a trick that either coaches or some medical staff will use they'll relabel the injury so now all of a sudden it is not a concussion when clearly in his case it was and the real tragedy was he was allowed to play four nights later and got knocked out cold and we all saw him doing what's known as the fencing response where his forearms are rigid and his uh, fingers are twitching uncontrollably in front of his face and had he been removed and diagnosed with a concussion in that first game four days earlier, what happened four days later wouldn't have happened.
1: Well, you only see things when you want to look for them, right? I mean, that's something in medicine. If you're trying to avoid the diagnosis, you can avoid the diagnosis. And so, absolutely. and again, we're not casting aspersions on any one individual. I think this is pretty systemic to be candid. And I'll say this, like football players, correct me if I'm wrong, but football players, especially the professional ones, there's a union. There's different, I would say, Routes for advocacy, be they legal or the engaging the union in different ways. When you start to get outside of the professional boundaries for any sport, let's say college, high school, theater, community programs, and teams, travel teams, to get to kind of the high school and college level, all those protections, what exist, the few that exist, kind of fall away, John. So, yeah,
2: the lower the level, the less the protections.
1: Exactly. So can you maybe I'm sure this is something that you're you're watching this. Tell me what's happening as you're seeing at the younger levels and exactly, you know, what dynamics occur. I know for a fact that I've had fellow parents where I've said I think your son had a concussion. I think I witnessed a concussion on the field. The parents feel pressure to not say anything because maybe my son will be the exception. And won't have a problem because they want so desperately for their son to have that future. And, you know, and they're 12, they're 11. Tell us what you're seeing.
2: Parents do try to hide it for better or for worse. Parents are, I think, at times are over invested in their athletic careers. Seriously, I've had athletes with season ending injuries. And the parents first question to me is, well, what, what am I going to do now? Meaning, what am I doing on Friday night? I don't have my child's game to go to. I've had a fairly unhappy response to those parents when they say that. Athletes at those lower levels also, they wanna play. It doesn't matter what level it is, whether they're peewee football or junior high or high school, college pros, they know if they're hurt and they're not playing, somebody may replace them and take playing time away from them even when they're healthy again. So the pressure's coming from all directions. There's pressure coming from the coach. You hear coaches all the time, they're more understanding of concussion, but they'll say to an athlete trainer, we've got to get him back or her back as fast as we can. Well, no, we're going to get him or her back when they're well, especially with a concussion. A concussion is not a sprained ankle. A concussion affects academic performance. Getting a second concussion before you recover from the first can have dire consequences. And certainly, even though we know concussions don't necessarily by themselves cause CTE, As the concussions add up, there are other mental health issues that people with multiple concussions seem to face at a greater rate than people who have not had a concussion.
0: So, John, you know, you mentioned that there's a lot of pressure, right, to get players back on the field regardless of their age. Given your experience, what are your recommendations to people who, you know, they want their players to play, but, like, how do you encourage them to kind of take the alternative path.
2: One of the things you can rely on is solid data. And one thing that I've always told parents is if we took away all these tools that we have now to evaluate athletes, neuropsychological tests, balance testing, one of the old hard and fast rules is 90 percent of second concussions that occur in the same season happen within 10 days of the first. So I think it's really important when a football player gets a concussion that they do not play in the next game. And if you're a basketball player, a hockey player, soccer player, it doesn't matter what the sport is, if you get a concussion, if you're held out for 10 days and you miss a couple of games, boy, it's a whole lot better than getting that second concussion before you've recovered from the first. And I think people are, on the one hand, are understanding this better. There's plenty of publicity out there about it. Unfortunately, on the other hand, I think there's concussion fatigue out there. People are tired of hearing about it. It's
1: hard to get a talented athlete, no matter what age, to kind of sit down and take preventive measures or to say, let's rest you, just like you mentioned, even at a halftime break. So what are some things that have actually worked, if anything, John, to try to get them to focus on their safety?
2: I think what works is to give them examples of athletes who they know, particularly teammates. And sell them on the idea of missing one game is a whole lot better than missing the rest of the season if you get a a second or third concussion.
1: Yeah, peers, I will say this, like all things in life, John, the peer effect is way stronger. Nothing motivates people more like peer action. So it's so true.
2: And one one thing that seemed to help me, especially later in my career, I, I, I know I had the trust of the athletes. And fortunately, most of my athletes at the high school, they would turn in their teammates when they suspected a teammate had a concussion because we had educated them enough that, number one, we, we understand the athlete wants to play. Number two, the, the other thing you have to understand with somebody with a concussion is now their judgment is impaired. So we hear all the time, well, it's the athlete's responsibility to turn themselves in. Well, perhaps it is, but their judgment's impaired. So what are we expecting from somebody with impaired judgment?
0: So, John, I'm hearing, you know, and I'm sure our listeners are feeling similar, like, wow, this is pretty dire, right? And we're talking about a sport that really we all know and we love. We're hearing kind of the side of people, you know, not doing the quote unquote right thing all the time, not laying blame, but, you know, there's space for improvement. Is there anyone or any institution in your mind that is really mitigating long term brain trauma in the right way?
2: The NFL is trying. Is everything they're doing working? And No, it's not, but they are trying. I believe the NCAA is trying, but is everything they're doing working? No, it isn't. I think what would help us even more is if the the Football Coaches Association, the Soccer Coaches Association, whatever state and national associations coaches have embraced this idea that we need to protect our children's heads, and it's better not to hit them. I know that the Concussion Legacy Foundation, I will tell you, I think they've kind of oversold the CTE thing. They make high school parents fearful when there really is no data to show that if you stop playing at the end of your high school career, you're really not at any greater risk of getting CTE than anybody else. But they're also the only people out there that are consistently calling out the professional leagues and, the, and collegiate teams that are in the public eye for letting players back in when clearly they have signs of concussion. Building on that,
1: when you think about the fact that football is here to stay, it is incredible how much joy it brings. And whether it's a Super Bowl game or the intersection of football and Taylor Swift, it's a pastime that is not going away. One of the no. po- most popular sports in the nation,
2: they had the highest ratings ever for playoff game, I think. Uh, for- <laughs> Conference Finals this past weekend.
1: We're going to call it the uh, the Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift mashup. Absolutely, there's
2: something to that. No question.
1: There's something to it. It's, it's yeah. bringing America's greatest pastimes all in one sitting. Right? You can do all yeah, of it. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I'm smiling thinking about just the there's there's a beauty to it, and there's a an amazing kind of value to it. It's so hard though. We're sitting here talking about something so serious and so desperate. On one hand, concussions and the and the kind of long term effects all sports, not just football, and then the beauty and amazing kind of athleticism and talent. How do you deal with that paradox? You must struggle with this all the time. This is kind of your job that you're dealing with, both the prevention, also rehab and the maintenance, and then wanting to just go out there and enjoy the sport. How do you let that paradox kind of play into your notions of wellness?
2: Personally, there are times where you do question whether or not you should be involved with something that has significant dangers. But on the other hand, if I'm not out there helping those athletes or the current generation of athletic trainers and team physicians, if they're not out there, who's out there to protect them? So there's an excellent study of football players from my alma mater at Notre Dame from my time. And do they have medical issues? Yes, they do. But on the whole, they are happier, healthier people than members of the general public the same age. So we know on balance These sports are healthier for our athletes, but we still need to do what needs to be done. And athletic trainers like me and team physicians, we're the best people to advise uh, sports administrators and coaches on how to make the game safer.
0: John, I hear that 100%. You know, as a dietitian, I absolutely think about kind of the health of the nation, especially for our youngest citizens, right? Like, what does that look like and what do we want from them? As a mom myself, and also working with families, you know, a lot of families say, Well, what should my kids do and what sports are safe? They really do ask us because there are these recommendations. We want kids moving for, you know, an hour every single day at minimum. So a parent comes to you and you've got all this fantastic research about, you know, the balance, right, of to play or not to play. When they're worried about these long term health impacts, What do you say to the parent whose, you know, their child wants to play football?
2: Well, I tell them that I let my sons play football in high school. I did. And quite often, I have parents tell me, I'm not going to let my son play football. And I'll ask, what are you going to let them? What are they going to play instead? And the answer almost always is soccer. And in terms of brain health, soccer is every bit as dangerous because of the heading. If you took heading out of soccer, it would be a different game. And that's sacrilege to any soccer traditionalist. But As long as there's heading in soccer, it's every bit as dangerous as football to the head. It just is. We know from the studies that are done on European soccer players that they are having the same issues, if not worse, than American football players
0: listen, the data's out there for people to really kind of dig into. And these are sports that we all love and we appreciate. And we're super grateful to the players for entertaining us, right?
2: Yeah. Even a, a sport that seems as safe as baseball. Well, if you're so concerned about head injuries, you probably should eliminate the catcher's position. But it's the way the game's played. It's not possible.
0: John Doherty is a licensed athletic trainer and physical therapist based in Indiana. John, thanks for joining us on Well Now.
2: Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure.
1: That's Well Now for this week. Our show is produced by Vic Whitley-Berry, Ben Richmond is Slate's Senior Director of Podcast Operations, and
0: Alicia Montgomery Slate's Vice President of Audio. You can follow our show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us on Apple or Spotify. It helps more listeners find the show. If you have something you'd like us to cover, email the show at slate.com. Join us again next Wednesday as we tackle another story from the wellness industry. I'm Maya Feller.
1: And I'm Kavita Patel. Thanks for listening.